The following audio is from Restoration Southside Church in Chattanooga, Tennessee, where our mission is to restore people and places through outreach, authenticity, and sacrifice. For more information, visit restorationsouthside.org. De manera que ya no cabía ni ni en la puerta. Y él les hablaba la palabra. Entonces vinieron a él trayendo un paralítico cargando por cuatro. Y como no podían acercarlo debido al, al gentío, destaparon el techo donde Jesús estaba y después de hacer una abertura bajaron en la, en la camilla y en que el paralítico estaba rescazando. Y viendo Jesús, el fe de ellos, dijo al paralítico, Hijo, tus pecados son perdonados. Algunos de los escribas estaban sentados allí, razonaban en sus corazones. Pero que habló así este blasfeme, ¿Quién puede perdonar pecados si no es solo Dios? De inmediato Jesús, contando en su espíritu, uh, dándose cuenta de su espíritu, que resonaba así dentro de él mismo, porque resonaba en sus corazones, ¿qué es más fácil? Ir al paralítico, tus pecados son perdonados, o decirles, levántate, toma tu camilla y anda. Pero para, para que sepan que el Hijo de, del Hombre tiene más autoridad, para perdonar pecados en la tierra, dijo el paralítico, a ti digo, levántate, toma tu camino y vete a tu casa. Y se levantó y enseguida tomó su camino y salió en presencia de todos. Um, y de modo que todos se asombraron y glorificaron a Dios. Jamás hemos visto cosas así. And now I will preach the entire sermon in Spanish. No, I'm just kidding. It'll be very sad. Um, Friends, if you have a kiddo that is from kindergarten to fifth grade and would like to go to Children's Church, but don't have to, but if you'd like to, you can join our volunteers over here by this back door, and they're going to go on into the Peyton. You're certainly welcome to send your kiddos or to keep them. Thank you for that beautiful reading, Jose. We'll continue in our study of Mark, and now we've made it. So much going on up here. Let me um, continue our study of Mark, Mark 2, 1 through 12. And this is a really, really sweet text um, because it shows not only the compassion and grace of God, but also the power and authority of God in lifting up the lonely, the lonely and the lowly and the downcast. But the question before us, and it, and it matters to you now, it matters to me now. Can anyone forgive sins? Let me say it another way. Can anyone forgive your sins? It's easy for us to think, yeah, I'm sure God can move and He'll be gracious. And I, I know that He's been gracious with others. But the question that haunts me is, will God forgive my sins? And that's what we'll answer this morning. So let's pray and ask God to bless our study of His Word this morning. Lord, would You have mercy on me, a sinner? I praise You for Your Word and Your Holy Spirit, and I ask that You be powerfully at work this morning. For those who don't know You, by your spirit, would you move and set their hearts ablaze that they might finally encounter someone who can deal with their mess 
And for those of us who have gone cold to you, would you wake us back up to the fact that despite how shamed we feel, grace is real. And for those of us who walk around with a glaring awareness of how broken we are, would you give us an even more glaring awareness of how full we are credited with the righteousness of Christ and that nothing will ever change that. For each of us, God, we ask that you'd move this morning. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. My brother Jeremy served in the army for several years. And when he was first getting into the army, he had a drill sergeant just like most or all do. You've seen in the movies, there's a drill sergeant. And he said he got really good, his big booming voice. And the drill sergeant's favorite thing to do to announce his arrival was to say in a loud voice, doing whatever you want to do, whenever you want to do it. And my brother said that that meant like, instead of doing what you're supposed to be doing, you're doing whatever you want to do, whenever you want to do it. And my brother said that when he'd hear that booming voice come through the room, people would like snap to attention straight next to their bed and they were ready to go. So my brother saw this use of authority and thought, I know, I'll start messing with them. And so he worked on the drill sergeant's voice. And my brother said he could hide back behind the bathroom and then psych himself up and then turn the corner and go, doing whatever you want to do, whatever you want to do it. And people just, and they'd turn and look at him and he'd be like, ha gotcha. One time that my brother did this, he was so ready, so excited, and he got the voice just right. And he turned the corner and said, doing whatever you want to do, whenever you want to do it. And everybody snapped too. And they're like, ah. And then they started smiling. And then they started laughing. And he said he could feel this ominous presence behind him. And he turned around and he said, there's no need to count, just do push-ups. You'll be at it a while. And my brother laid down before him and just knocked out push-ups for a long time. You see, my brother was claiming authority that he did not have until he encountered the person that actually had it doing whatever you want to do whenever you want to do it. This is what's going on here. The Pharisees who are in the room sitting, and we get the sense that they're sitting there cynically, meaning who is this guy think he is from Nazareth that he is going to draw a crowd, that he's going to heal, that he's going to teach our Bible Who does this guy think he is? He is calling on authority that is not his own. He's acting on authority that is not his own. He's using a voice that he doesn't deserve. And that's the picture, the clash that we have. Jesus, we've seen him clashing with demons. We've seen him clashing with the sick. Now we see him clashing with the teachers of the law. Doing whatever you want to do whenever you want to do it. The question for us is, does anyone have the actual authority to forgive sin? There's something Jesus does first. He teaches the truth. And we've been talking about this for a couple weeks, so I'm not going to linger long here. But glance with me in verse 1 and 2, please. And when he returned to Capernaum, after those some days, it was reported that he was at home, and many were gathered together so that there was no more room, not even at the door. And he was preaching the word to them. 
The reason that I want to show you that, and we've talked about it before, is that Jesus is preaching the truth to a large crowd of people. Some of the crowd of people will sit there in just a few moments and say, who is this? Who does this guy think he is? Some of the people will go, this is amazing. We'll never see anything like it. And then they still won't put their trust in Jesus. What's the point for us? The point for us is you can be in the room where Jesus is, in the room where Jesus is being talked about, and that doesn't mean that you're following him. It doesn't mean that you're following him. So my encouragement to you is to don't sit here and leave unchanged. Don't sit here and leave unchanged. You can be in awe of what he does and not understand who he is. The reason that I know this, in another passage, we'll read that when Jesus is saying woe on the different cities, he's weeping, he's lamenting that these people had the opportunity to embrace salvation and they didn't take it. He woes and he says, woe to you, Capernaum. He says, even Sodom and Gomorrah would have repented if they'd seen the miracles done in Capernaum. And yet, you still didn't believe. Here's why that matters. We think it was easier for them. It was easier for them because they got to see it. They got to watch it. God, if you will just move in my life in such a tangible way that I can see it, that I can watch it with my own eyes, of course then I would believe. And right here in Capernaum, they watch him heal Peter's mother-in-law, drive out demons, stay up late healing the sick, and then heal this man that we're about to watch him heal. And it says, and yet they never believed. You can be near Jesus, near the crowds, and it doesn't mean that you know and follow him. And I don't want that for you. I don't want that for you. Don't just be near the crowd and near the noise in all of what he does, but not understand who he is. It's the first thing that I want you to see. But I also want you to see that he welcomes faith. So here's the thing. Is it, you can't just acknowledge lip service to him and stay in the crowd. And yet, if there's even a little bit of faith, he welcomes it. He draws near to it. Listen to this in 3 through 5. And they came bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. And they could not get near him because of the crowd. And they removed the roof above him. And when they made an opening, they let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, My son, your sins are forgiven. My son, your sins are forgiven. I want you to imagine with me carrying a grown man. There's four of them. It's awkward. It's heavy, even spread out. It's not easy to do, and it's certainly not easy to do in a crowd of people. They can't even get near the door. And I know kind of our minds go, this is ancient Near East, excuse me, this is the ancient Near East. Everybody was mostly poor back then, so when they lower him through the roof, it's like they kind of brush off some dust and some leaves and everybody can see him. You know what I mean? We kind of have this vision that it's like 
they lower him through the roof like it's like, yeah, just move that one board. It's, he's right here. We can see him. That's not what it is. The roofs were two feet, feet thick. First, they would lay down timber. And then across the other way of the timber, they would lay down little sticks to begin filling in the gaps. And then they would add reeds. And then they would add branches and thistles to sort of make sure that there were no holes. And then they would add 12 inches of dirt. So we get this idea that they're like, oh, we can't get in. That's okay. We'll go up on the balcony and kind of shout down to Jesus. The text gives us a picture that they are digging with their hands through the dirt, through the thistle, through the sticks, and then moving the lumber. It's a scene. It's noisy. And it's dark because they're in the shade. And they didn't have light switches back then. And then all of a sudden, there's this noise and Dust starts to fall on everybody, and the light breaks through. And to add to that, I didn't notice this, this t- until I studied it this time, but this is likely Jesus' house. We don't know whether he was renting it or whether he owned it, but listen to this. It was reported that he was at home. So he's sitting there teaching and preaching, and there's people standing room only. Pharisees have taken a seat, but everybody else is crowded up against the wall. There are people waiting outside, seeing if they can hear Jesus' voice. And all of a sudden, this thing comes crashing through. One of the commentators says it's knowing that it's Jesus' actual house. It all all makes more sense. Like they finally get the guy into the room after destroying Jesus' roof, and he's like, Hey, you're forgiven for all this. But that's not what he means. His friends would not take no for an answer for getting them, him to Jesus. His friends would not take no for an answer for getting him to Jesus. We have to get people to the right person. We have to get people to the right person. Several months after the twins were born, uh, Aaron was overwhelmed, as you would imagine. Five kids, infant twins. Um, she just never got a break for herself. And I thought, I'm going to surprise her with something nice. I'm going to get a massage for her and so that she can go rest and feel rejuvenated. And I actually knew of a girl in the church who was a massage therapist. And so I was going to text her. It was going to be like a church connection and get Aaron the massage. It was going to be great. So I go to the church database software and I look up her number. Except in the church database software, it doesn't distinguish between cell office, house, or spouse cell. So I send a text that says, hey, it's Jared from church. My wife really needs a massage and I want you to do it. And of course, I'm going to pay you for this. And an accountant named Colin Staten sitting at his desk across town gets a text from his pastor that says, hey, it's Jared from church. My wife really needs a massage, and I want you to do it. And of course, I'm going to pay you for this. Sitting at his desk, (laughs) he thinks, are they trying to trap me? (laughs) And texts back, dude, you got the wrong number. You're looking for my wife. (laughs) And I was like, oh man, I'm so embarrassed. 
But the idea was is that I was trying to get Aaron to the wrong person. And we do that. We try and get people to the wrong person. We try and help them with their finances, help them with their job, help them with their community, help them with their neighborhood, help them with their relationships. And all of those things might be good, but it's not as important as getting them where they actually need to go, which is to Jesus. We're getting them to the wrong person. How are we as God's people trying to get people to the feet of Jesus? We need to get them to the right place. It's funny, too, that Jesus' response is almost disrespectful here. The friends do all this, break a hole in the house, drop him down, and Jesus looks at him and is like, hey, your sins are forgiven. And the dude's like, that's great. That's not why I'm here. That's not what I'm here for. I'm here so that I can be healed, so that I can walk. And you're talking about this forgiveness. This is informative for us because most of us, if we will encounter Jesus, if we will encounter God, we're going to Him for something. Some of it's like, I feel so shameful all the time. Give me relief. Or things are so hard right now. Give me financial help. Or I really don't think I can live a life without a baby. Give me a baby. Or I don't think I can live a life without a spouse. Give me a spouse. Or I don't think I can live a life without more money. Give me money. And we think whatever it is that we're bringing to Him, that that's the main thing in our life. And I'm not making little light of the fact that this is a paralytic. The years that he would have gone, people walking by him, not caring about him, he thinks this is my biggest problem. But we do the same thing. And you know what it is for your life. But you say, this is my biggest problem. And Jesus, if you'll deal with this, that would help so much. And what he's saying is, you have a bigger problem than you think you do. You have a bigger problem than you're being a paralytic. But I don't say that to discourage you. I say that to draw attention to the fact that if he would meet your biggest need, which is forgiveness of sin, if he would send Jesus, to come and live a perfect life and to die a grueling death and to give you all of His righteousness and Him to take all of your sin and to be punished by God, His Father, walk away from Him. If He would deal with your biggest problem ever, why would we not conclude that He would also come alongside us and meet our needs? You see what I'm saying? It doesn't, it doesn't make sense. He'll go this far and do all of that, but He won't do the smaller deed of taking care of you and meeting your needs? We try and flip it. We're like, I'll know if you love me if you do this small thing. Then maybe I'll believe about the big thing. And he's saying, stare at the forgiveness of sins. Then you'll know my heart towards you. So friends, what is the little thing in your life that you're asking for relief from so that maybe you could believe a little bit more about the larger thing? We have to get ourselves and our church members and our neighbors and the people in our city to the feet of Jesus. We have a bigger problem than we think we do. And these friends of his, it's the best, clearest picture of a pastoral job description I've ever read. These guys are determined to get him near Jesus. 
One of my best buddies is a brain surgeon. And he got a call recently from a city three hours away with a bullet. There was somebody with a bullet in their spine. And the, hel- and the hospital surgeon there could not perform the surgery. He didn't have the training. He called his friend here in Chattanooga and said, hey, can I send you somebody with a bullet in their spine? We're running out of time. And he said, get them to me. Get them to me. And so they sent a helicopter to go pick up this guy to bring him back to Chattanooga because he needed to see the right surgeon so that he could do what others couldn't do. And that's what we're doing here. We're getting ourselves and our kids and our friends and our neighbors to the one person that can help them. Get people to Jesus and let him work out the details. One other thing we see here is that just a little more will never be enough. You know what I'm saying? Here, he wants to be uh, healed from being a paralytic. His friends want him to be healed from being a paralytic. But as we talked about last week, this guy's still going to die. The things that we think we want, if you just give me this, if you just give me that, just a little bit more will be enough. A little bit more will be enough. And most of us know more is never enough. In fact, it kind of highlights it in a sad way because we thought something was going to meet our needs and now we have it and it doesn't and we're still empty inside. If I could just have this, then I'd be whole. Then you get it and think, I thought this was going to do more for me. A little bit more will never be enough. And he unmasked the hearts of the Pharisee. They're sitting there. They're trying to catch him. And they're looking at him like, you cannot do this. Listen. Why does this man speak like this? He is blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And Jesus is like, yep. And immediately Jesus, perceiving in his spirit that they questioned him within themselves, said to them, Why do you question these things in your hearts? Which is easier to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, rise, take up your bed, and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And he rose, and he immediately picked up his bed and went out before them all, so that they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, we've never seen anything like this. He says, your sins are forgiven. And the scribes start freaking out because they're saying, you do not have the authority to do this. You're doing whatever you want to do whenever you want to do it. You do not have the authority to do this. And Jesus tricks them. They don't want to admit that he has authority to forgive sins. And they're too scared to know whether he can actually have this paralytic for years stand up and walk. And so he's got him He's got him in this trap, which is easier to do. All I did was say some words. Uh, I can't do that. What if I can make a paralytic stand up and walk out? Are my words over here more valid? Jesus is showing them what God is really like. He meets needs and he forgives sins. 
They're trying to say God is only here for the smart, the hardworking, those who have cleaned themselves up a bit. And he is saying, grace is for the needy. And the Pharisees don't want to hear that. They don't want to hear graces for the needy. They want to hear graces for the hardworking. That's why we need to hear this. The most shamed person in this room needs to hear there is an element in which we profoundly believe God came to give forgiveness to those of us that are trying hard. And that's why we feel so bad all the time as we think God's going to put us in the category of not trying very hard, not changing very much. The question in our heads is, does he really have the authority to forgive sin? I would imagine that this guy stands up. He's seen the the spectacle of it all. He's been dropped through the roof. His friends are still up there looking down at him. The Pharisees are sitting there with their arms crossed. Jesus stands up and he probably, a little nervous, puts some weight on his legs like, oh man, I don't want to be disappointed, and stands all the way up and rolls up his mat. And I bet you he swaggered up out of that place, like high-fiving and looking at the Pharisees. And he spent the next two days running around, jumping and leaping, we don't know. But then think, in the quiet of a few days later, that he said, you know, Jesus said that I could pick up my mat, rise, and walk. And that's exactly what happened. He also said, my sins were forgiven. That must be true as well. It starts to dawn on him that Jesus has the authority to heal and Jesus has the authority to forgive. That's what I want you to hear. That forgiveness is the centerpiece of the matter. Yes, Jesus can do these miracles. He is the God-man but that what he came to do was announce forgiveness to nobodies. Mark is playing with us again, this this episode where he says, they're questioning in their hearts, why does this man speak like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? We'll see that later in the story. Do you remember? When Jesus is on trial the night before they kill him, And they ask him, are you Christ, the Holy One of God? And he says, I am. And you know what the high priest does? He rips his clothes off and says, this is blasphemy. What more do we need of witnesses? This is blasphemy. So this is the beginning of the end for Jesus. When you have standoffs and they won't admit that he's God and can forgive sins. And he says, that's exactly who I am. And Mark is showing us just a glimpse here in two of what's ultimately going to take Jesus down. That Jesus came to forgive sinners. And that Jesus has the authority to forgive sinners. And that when you put your trust in Christ, it's not someday you'll be forgiven. Or won't it be that great day in heaven when you're forgiven? Or soon, as long as you start trying harder, you'll be forgiven. But that when you put your trust in Christ, in that moment, right now, You're forgiven forever. It cannot be taken from you. And he's saying, and I have the authority to say it. Does he or does he not have the authority to forgive sins? Presumably, the room 
was quiet. But again, Pharisees are there. They don't believe it. They don't know what to make of what they saw, but they don't believe it. The crowds are there. They're amazed by it. And most of them end up not believing it. Because it's hard to believe that Jesus of Nazareth has the authority to forgive sins. And you struggle to believe it, and I do too. We think that we had forgiveness once, maybe. He cleaned our record. But ever since then, we've been scratching up our record, and it's not clean anymore, and it's no good to us. Does Jesus have the authority to forgive your sin? Some of you have seen me ride around town. I have this little red scooter moped that somebody gave us for free in Houston. And I love this little thing. And I'm a big guy. I look a little ridiculous on it. And at the beginning, I have this helmet that was bright red. It might as well have had one of those twirly things on top where I just twirled it and rode around town. And I wanted to stop looking ridiculous on my scooter. And so I went online and I hunted for the right price and the right thing. And I found this matte black full helmet, smoked mirror helmet. And I looked amazing in it. And I'd like ride around town on my moped, like, you know, giving the sign to the Harley guys. I'm like, what's up? Scooter life, I get it. I had this for one day. Rode the kids around, so happy, it's amazing. Second day, they're all pumped about it, so we go again. And I'm giving out scooter rides to each of the kids, and that takes hours because there's hundreds of them. And finally, I take one of the kids off, put my helmet on the seat, Getting the kid off, knocks Scoots forward because it's her, his turn, and he knocks my two-day-old brand-new helmet onto my gravel driveway. And I look down, and you know how it just kind of skipped, 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 and it is just gashed up everywhere. And if you were there that day, you would have gotten to see a 35-year-old man throw a temper tantrum. I was like jumping up and down, looking at my helmet like... This is why we can't have nice things. You guys, you guys ruin everything. And I'm like losing it ridiculously. And I start to walk away and I realize the Holy Spirit's like, really, dude? For the, your scooter helmet, all this? And I'm like, all right. So I turn back around and I walk up to Knox, who's tearing up because he's so shamed that his grown man father through a hissy fit over his temper, over his scooter helmet. And I look at Knox and I say, Knox, I'm so sorry. That is way too much. Please forgive me. And he said, Dad, I forgive you. And I'm so sorry I scratched up your helmet. And we reconcile. But the thing is, I still ride that scooter. And every time I reach for that helmet, all I can see are the scratches. Yes, you believe maybe that Jesus forgave you, that you've reconciled, but after you've continued to sin, continued to be selfish, continued to make mistakes, all you can see when you look at your brand new righteousness is that it's all scratched up. All you can see are the mistakes. And Jesus says, 
I have the authority to forgive sins. I have the authority to make a paralytic stand up and walk out. I have forgiven you now and forever, and I have the authority to do so. Friends, let's go and live like it. We've been forgiven, and no one can take that from us. Let's pray. We're just like the paralytic. We want you to do things in our lives that aren't our main problem. We're just like the Pharisees. We're not sure that anyone has the authority to clean up the mess we've made. What a scene. That you claim to be God, make a paralytic stand up, and you offer forgiveness of sins. Help us to hold on to that. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. You claim to be God, make a paralytic stand up, and you offer forgiveness of sins. Help us to hold on to that. It's in Jesus' name that we pray.